0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, a special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out Weekly Fantasy Sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first-ever 3 tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 62. We head to the outfield for the 2021 early, 2020, yeah, 2021, I said that right, early outfield fantasy baseball preview. It sounds weird. It's actually going to be reality here soon. Um, we're going to, you know, hit around 30 or so, maybe more players this episode. We'll pick up more next week. Got a lot of listener questions this week, which is always awesome and appreciated from you guys. You guys kick butt in that, so that's much appreciated. Uh, before we get into the brass tacks it all, you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick, my co-host as always on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing?
2: Uh, we're doing well. It is it is a twenty twenty one preview, Bubba, and it feels uh it feels it feels weird. Uh, but that's what we're doing. we we've got a series of them. They've all been amazing so far. I would anticipate nothing less, uh in all in all humility speaking, I would expect nothing less than the best podcast you've ever heard about outfielders for twenty twenty-one tonight.
1: But well, I think you, things are good. Good. Yeah, you mentioned the best podcast out there. So if people are paying attention, you'll see stuff coming up in the coming weeks. Um, I shamelessly nominated us for Podcast of the Year. So we'll see. <laughs> oh! we'll, see how, we'll see how that goes. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we finish in that. But everybody said we should have been nominated last year. So I, I slid the nomination recommendation under the door. We'll see if they accept it, but I put it in there.
2: You know, I think that's still humble because. I saw a tweet earlier today by one Alex Chamberlain uh, at yep. Dolph Haldhagen on Twitter, a uh, very good friend of the podcast and, a, and a, an incredible uh, writer and researcher, um, an FSWA winner who said that you should nominate your own podcast. So, but that being said, not Bubba has nominated the Bubba and the Batfoot podcast.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Um, now the question is, can other people do it? Because I'm gonna put a shameless plug in there to nominate us as well to make sure that we end up there. Because you know we bring you content year around. And this content isn't just good, Bubba. It's not just great, it's exceptional. Every Sunday night, Monday night, or Tuesday night, depending on where children are going to bed. So
1: No, I, Yeah, if they want to keep pushing the envelope, uh, just email the guys over at FSWA. Uh, all media, um, podcast, videos, whatever, those categories, you have to email them the request. That You can't just fill out the form online. So yeah, if you guys want to, go for it. If not, in the coming weeks, somehow there'll be a way to vote, and we will bug you incessantly about that to make it happen. So <laughs> it's just fun. I figured it would be interesting to see where it goes. After the kind words last season from people, I figured let's give it a shot and see what happens. And I got the email about a week ago. And we're in. So let's see what happens.
2: Well, uh, that's amazing, Bubba. And having the smartest listeners of any fantasy baseball podcast out there. And you'll see that by the questions that we got tonight. I was like getting jazzed up just looking at the questions um, that people were putting in because they're really thoughtful, really great questions. So having the smartest listeners certainly helps you when you when you uh, nominate, you know, when you're nominated for something like that. So we'll, we'll see how what fate has in store for us.
1: Yeah, December 15th, and we're getting very intelligent, like, strategy questions, let alone the nicest listeners, because it's they, they leave with, I apologize, this is not an outfield question, but <laughs> like, <laughs> it's cool. Keep them coming. It's all good. But um, let's get into the outfield. Uh, last year, we found a formula where we went through the NFBC ADP. We're, these are going to be from starting November 14th. It's about a month, give or take. Uh, draft champions drafts. We kind of group them in pods of five, like one through five, six through ten, so on and so forth. So we don't go one by one, but we kind of give our quick thoughts on on the region, and uh, we'll go through a handful tonight. Like I said, we'll do more next week and go kind of deeper, long shot guys and whatnot there. But we'll kick it off with the the easy crew. It's like when we talk starting pitching, you got the big three. When you're talking outfield, it's it's pretty much the standard guys, and you can kind of make mix and matches of spots if you really want to. But uh, you got Acuna at one. Mookie Betts is number two, Soto three, Trout four, Yellick five. They're going at pick 1.4, three, um, five for Soto. Trout's all the way down almost six or seven. Christian Yellick is around pick 12 or 13, but he's got as high as four. So some people are still in love with Christian Yellick. But when you're looking at these five guys, the big five, basically, there's still some more, but big five, what are you looking at with uh, this group?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can't really go wrong with any of them. I don't have any major concerns. Um, I mean, with Soto and Trout, you know, you have to just consider the fact that obviously exceptional profiles going to come with maybe slightly less speed. Um, although, you know, with what Soto was able, was able to do last year, I mean, in the shortened season um, uh, was pretty great. So there's fewer concerns, I think, than when he came up about what you would get in the profile, but they're all really good. Obviously, Yelich with the, with the small sample size and kind of some question marks, come in there after being, you know, for a lot of people, the number one pick last year. But I think when you kind of look under the hood, there are some issues with the contact rate, um, obviously, but, you know, those improved as the season progressed. You know, you see the 259 Babbitt when his career Babbitt is 354. Uh, when you look at his stat cast metrics um, as well, you know, he had the highest exit velocity of his career. The max exit velo was down a little bit, so maybe pointing at, at maybe some injury issues, although it's kind of in line with everything that he did before 2019. The barrel rate was solid. The hard hit rate was the highest of his career as well. So I don't think there's too much of a reason to be concerned with Jelic. Um, the only, you know, obviously he had the knee issue last year, so maybe that was bothering him. Maybe he doesn't run as much as he has before, but either way, I think you're getting, you know, a 30-20 guy with, close to a third, you know, a 300 batting average when all is said and, de- said and done this year. So you could be getting some value there. With all of these guys, the one thing that I'll point out about Mookie bets is for people who focus on projections, Steamer has his batting average projection very low for him at 273. He's hit 290 the last couple years, You know, then well over 300. Then he had a 264 year, but that was a pretty much an aberration, I think, with what we've seen before that. And if you look at his his batting average, even this past year, it could have been a lot better. Oftentimes we talk on the podcast about looking, you know, especially over smaller sample sizes at the ground ball rate, as opposed to like a fly ball rate or a line drive rate. Well, Mookie had pretty much the same ground ball rate that he traditionally has, but a 3% lower um, line drive rate. So those went for fly balls. So maybe those impacted the BABIP a little bit. I think over the longer course of the season, You know, he's going to point more towards that 24% mark, which will boost that batting average. So I think, you know, you project him at a 290 plus batting average. um, And then, you know, his valuation in the projections and and the valuation models will jump up there. So I just say, you know, if if you're somebody who kind of plugs in their projection to generate a dollar value and you're using steamer, just be a little bit hesitant there. Um, you know, to believe that, I think you need to bump that up a little bit to to get his true value. But outside of that, I mean, these guys are all great, right?
1: Yeah, no, they're all great. Uh, I like the the bets comment there because he's not going to hit two seventy three unless things are kind of wrong with him. If that's the case, well, it was already going to be frustrating to begin with. You know, hitting at the top of that Dodgers order with the protection behind him, it's going to be tough to pitch around Mookie bets as much as they want to. So, I think that's a good call. I always love Acuna. I'm glad uh, people are seeing him as number one. He legit has 40-30 upside. Like when we talked about Tatis, at shortstop last week, these guys are like peas in a pod to me. It's like if you think that Tatis is the top shortstop and he's worthy of a top two or three pick, well, Acuna to me is that when it comes to uh, the outfield for what he can do for you in steals and homers compared to these other guys because they're all going to contribute somewhere, but it's kind of where you, the, where you kind of differentiate a bit. Like Trout, not really stealing as much anymore. I think that's why he's sliding. still a phenomenal player. Like if you can get him at six or seven, like, if we were talking a year or two ago on this show and said, hey, in 2021 drafts, Mike Trout's going to go, you know, after pick six, Maybe some guys are getting him like a nine or ten in drafts, we'd all be laughing. Like, they'd be like, no way we'd believe that. But that's where we're at. So that's kind of one of those awesome little things that falls in your lap and, and you won't complain about. But for me, it comes down to Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna. And that, that the difference is the stolen bases with Acuna. But Juan Soto is going to lock you in a batting average. He's going to get you everything else in all the categories. And if you're in an OBP league, he's just an absolute monster. So like, like in the best ball formats that are points leagues, I've been trying to get Soto in a lot of places early in, in drafts. If I can, I think he's an absolute monster. I know when we play barf OBP wise, Soto flies off the board. Um, he, and for good reasons. So the, the fun discussion to me is Soto versus Acuna. I think that's a fun one because bets is bets. He's very good. Uh, I have no problem with him going second on this list and the rest are good. Yelich, I, I agree with what you said. I think, There's got to be some some comeback there. you got to imagine the injuries are kind of catching up with him at times because he still showed certain things that uh, lined up with what Yellick can do, and it's just a kind of couple tweaks here and there. So I'm with you. All five guys, absolutely outstanding. Can't really complain too much uh, in this range. All right, 6 through 10, you got Bellinger going around pick 16, Harper around 20, Kyle Tucker, which I can't wait to hear your thoughts here because you're taking him everywhere in drafts at pick 30, Lou Bob at 32 and Whit Merrifield at 40. So a little bit more separation in this range and kind of plant flags on certain guys here. How do you feel about six through 10?
2: Yeah. um, I feel, I feel okay about it. Um, I mean, for, for Bellinger, I'm not that into Bellinger. I mean, the projections like him a lot, although they project him for 40 home runs. And I think the challenge with Bellinger is that outside of that first half, of 2019, he hasn't been, I mean, he's been very good. Don't get me wrong, but he's been like a 260 guy and not like a 300 guy. Right. And so the the projections have him at 282, which seems really high for me. Obviously they're factoring in that 305 batting average, but when you look at kind of the underlying metrics there, Um, you know, the line drive rate was absurdly high that year. So he had his lowest ground ball rate and his highest line drive rate about 5% higher than he does than he's had at any other point, um, uh, during his career. Um, and so I think that really was the driver of the batting average, but outside of that, like, you know, he, and, and the home runs are obviously the driver of that, but his 62 game pace outside of that 2019 season you know, um, 39 home runs, 25 home runs, 12 home runs last year in the shortened season, but in two, about 250 plate appearances. So if you extrapolate that out to, you know, 600, a little bit more than 600, you're still looking at about 30 home runs, which I think is more what I would have for a projection than the 40. And obviously steamer is smarter than me, but just kind of thinking here, um, out loud. So for Bellinger, the first base eligibility is super helpful. I don't think you necessarily go wrong in taking him here, but I do think that you need to factor in that his batting average may be a little bit lower than it's projected for right now. And that home run total, I think will also be a little bit lower um, there. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I, I generally feel about him. I think similarly with Harper, people are, people are very into Harper. um, And again, for good reason, an incredibly good player, but when you look at the batting average totals that he's been providing, right? 249, 260, 268 last year, the stolen bases have been increasing, which is really nice. But still, you're not necessarily getting that batting average. So you are getting steals with that power, but the batting average isn't necessarily helping you. And so it's just something that you have to factor in as you as you build your team out. Is just, if I'm not getting a high batting average guy with my first or second round pick with one of these guys... How am I going to compensate for that? And there's a off, there's a, there's obviously different ways that you can do that, but it's just something you need to think about, you know, from a roster construction standpoint. So maybe it's like you're taking a Jeff McNeil around pick 100 later on, you know, maybe it's you're going for another high batting average type of guy there. Um, do you want me to just roll through these, or do you wanna do you wanna um, uh, go into Belly and 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 Harper a little bit here?
1: Now go ahead and roll through them, and then I'll come behind you and give my thoughts. And let's keep keep on trucking.
2: Okay, cool. Um, so that's kind of Bryce Harper, and I think that's always been my issue with Harper. I do think that he is he's a better hitter, and I and I feel more comfortable with what the batting average floor is with him um, now because I think um, I should look before I say this, but uh, yeah, his 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 contact rate had improved uh, from last year, where it was kind of a scary below seventy percent. Um, so I feel pretty good about him. Um, I really like Kyle Tucker a lot this year. And I know people are kind of like, man, you're drafting him twice in the upper 20s. You know, that's uh, there's some skepticism there, and I totally understand it because we only have a really a short, a small season sample size here that we're dealing with. But I just love when you look underneath the the hood on Kyle Tucker, in a few different ways, I always love guys who hit for power, but have really high contact rates, just because, you know, for me, what it gives is it gives a little bit of a batting average floor, and it also represents volume. So where they whereas with Tucker, for instance, the stack data may not jump off the page, you know, he's not gonna he doesn't have that max exit velo, he doesn't have that barrel rate necessarily that we're looking for in like an elite power hitter, but he puts the ball in play a lot more. And so as a result he has a lot more chances to hit home runs. And so you're going to see that volume of balls in play be a lot higher, which gives him an opportunity not only for a higher batting average if luck swings his way, but also just of putting batted balls, you know, in play and getting more fly balls. Like I guess a clearer way to say that is if you have two guys with the same fly ball rate and one puts the ball in play, you know, a lot more and one puts the ball in play less, you're going to have a lot higher volume of fly balls over the course of a full season. So I really like that about Tucker. You know, he hit 268 last year, you know, his uh, 269 in 2019, a very small sample, obviously. But the contact rate overall, better than league average by over 2%. The end zone contact rate, right around league average. Again, the batted ball quality metrics don't necessarily jump off the page, but he's got a below league average ground ball rate at 38%, around 40% for his career. So that's really nice. He should move into that um, into that, that cleanup spot, I think, for the, um, for, uh, for the Astros. So you'll probably have, I, I'm assuming, Altuve leading off at this point in time. Um, I know I'm going to forget one of their hitters. Oh, you're probably going to have Bregman hitting two, I would assume. Tucker actually hitting three in that lineup and maybe Jordan Alvarez batting fourth, um, something like that, depending on what they do in in free agency and and acquisitions, things of that nature. So I, I just think that that just sets him up to be so good. And then when you look at the stolen bases, I mean, in 372 plate appearances so far in the big leagues, he's got Uh, 14 stolen bases. He's only been caught twice. He doesn't have the elite sprint speed, but what that tells me, although we're dealing with a small sample, is that he is he's good at base base stealing. He picks the right spots to steal um eight stolen bases in the shortened season and 228 plate appearances. Steamer has him projected for 30 home runs and and 20 stolen bases, which is awesome. And the 257 batting average, I think that's reasonable. But I do think that with the with the increase in contact that he had, not only over the course of the season, but towards the second half of the season, that increased even more. He's just a tough at bat. And so I can actually see a pretty decent ceiling on that batting average if things roll the right way. So to summarize my lengthy diatribe on Kyle Tucker, increased contact rate gives him a higher Um, floor for that batting average. And then you're getting a 30-20 guy, I think, for home runs and stolen bases with a little bit of upside on that stolen bases um, as well. So really love um, Tucker right there. You know, Lou Bob, you know, again, the stolen bases and the power, I think, will be there. But we saw what you're going to get. We saw the variance in the profile. I think he hit like 290 the first half of the season. Then he hit like 130 the second half of the season. That's the type of variance you're going to get with that type of chase. But again, he's in a very good lineup. You know, he's in a great division in terms of the pitching being awful. And you're going to get that power and speed. Just a little bit of a concern about the batting average. So you need to build in, you know. And I think the difference between him and like a Bellinger and a, a Harper is like for those guys, you know, maybe the the floor for the batting average is like a 240, 250. Lubav, it's pretty low. It's like a 220 you know, and, and the OBP is not going to be that helpful. And you could see him being dropped, you know, further down in the lineup as a result of that. So I'm probably not going to be in on Lubob all that much um, this year for that reason, just because I think you can get the, you can still make up for the home run and the speed and getting that type of a batting average dud early on is not something that I'm super interested in. And then with Whit Merrifield, you know, talking about him as an outfielder, I think, is fine because he's got that dual position eligibility. But if you're drafting him, you're drafting him as a, your second baseman here, I think. Um, and so the dual position eligibility adds something. We talked in the second base preview, you know, the the batting average is there. The stolen bases were super exciting to see. They've improved that lineup through free agency already with Carlos Santana there. It's an exciting lineup. He's going to do really well. I think he's, he's about solid where he's going right now. Um, and I, and I won't, I won't talk too much more because that was a mouthful that I just provided on those five players.
1: Yeah. Uh, Cody Bellinger. I, I don't understand the averages you're saying. So that that's a tough one for me to, to take him at that point in the draft. Um, there's other options at pick 16, basically the turn that I'd be going for another pitcher um, other, like another shortstop potentially that fell there. Uh, Freddie Freeman, like Cody Bellinger is not one of the guys I'd be looking at that point in the draft. So I, I just, I'm always out on Cody Bellinger and honestly, if I'm taking a guy with a suspect average situation in the outfield, I'd rather take Bryce Harper. I, I really think he's got more upside than Cody Bellinger. I know Bellinger's put the numbers, but I, I am one of the guys that just loves Harper. I don't seem to draft him often because I still think 20 is kind of rich. But if you're in the right draft where he kind of falls because maybe pitching goes aggressively or like you can get him on the back end of, the, of round two or something, I'm more inclined to it than a pick 20. But uh, I do believe Harper. It's one of those guys that – We've seen him put an MVP season together, so we know what the ceiling is. And playing in Philadelphia in that ballpark and in that lineup, the ceiling is always attainable. So I think that's a a, a situation where things are pretty, pretty interesting. So I understand the Harper love. It's um, a little rich at pick 20, I'll be honest. And the batting average, that's just so – with him, there's such a big peak, some valley, I think, with the batting average compared to certain other guys. We're like, okay, you can kind of put them in a certain window and they should hit somewhere in there. Harper, we could see hit like 310 or 320, or you could hit like 240. Like You wouldn't be shocked by the variance in Bryce Harper's average. But he's still going to get you homers. He's running more, like you said. The counting stats will be great. So it's just one of those, like you said, with some of those guys, maybe you make sure you get a a batting average asset later in your draft if if that's the route you go. Again, kind of tough at pick 20. Uh, Tucker I love. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to bite off this price. Like for him and Lubob. I like both of these guys a ton. There's so many question marks for me at this point in the draft. That's why I wanted to hear your explanation on Tucker because we know you're more of a pitcher's JT Romito kind of safety net uh, full package situation where Tucker, we don't really... Like, we know the talent's there, and I believe one day he will be an elite outfielder. Is it this year? Is it another couple of years with some more experience? That's the big question. So he could win you leagues. There's no question about that, and I think that's what you're going for with when you're picking him. At the same time, I just wonder... For a guy that really hasn't put it all together just yet because he hasn't had consistent playing time, are there going to be some interesting hiccups? And that that's very, very possible. So it'll be interesting to see with Tucker. I think that's going to be a fun one to track this year because the talent's through the roof. I've claimed forever when they were threatening to trade Kyle Tucker, I said, trade anybody else in your farm system. Like when they traded T. Oscar and all those guys, do not trade Kyle Tucker. Like that's one of those guys you just don't do, especially now with Springer leaving town. You keep Tucker there. And then Merrifield, we talked about him on the second base show. I've... Preached my love for Whit Merrifield for a couple of years now. Um, I think he's phenomenal as a second baseman. I'm with you there. At pick 40, I'm not drafting him as an outfielder. The guy we'll talk about next at pick 40, I would draft as an outfielder. Not Whit Merrifield. He's a second baseman. If you want to take him early, I get it. Second baseman's weak, and uh, he pretty much hits you up in five categories. And his his stolen base skills are legit. He's not like a lights-out power guy, but he's gonna he's sneakily going to get you like maybe 15 or so. So he, he's a nice asset to have there in Kansas city. So I, I agree with what you had on that one.
2: A, a couple pieces just that. You reminded me of me, uh, me of when you were, when you were talking about him too, is, is with Bellinger, with the Bellinger and Harper thing, like the OBP that Harper puts up oh, on a consistent basis is just, yeah. is
1: massive. And like then 20% be- walk rate last week.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's it really incredible. And, um, and then with Bellinger, he's got the shoulder injury too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's not nothing, because not not I, I feel like it was also something where, yeah, when Kike like, you know, gave him that really strong high five, that kind of dislodged it. But it sounded like there was some issues there before as well. Yep. And he was he's a tinkerer, too. I can't remember whose podcast was, I was listening yeah, to. He's but, messing but, with his
1: swing last year.
2: He's always messing with his swing, Bellinger is. Um, and then um, the one thing with Merrifield, too, which I think you mentioned was was that 15 home runs, that 10 to 15 home runs. And I think there's such a big difference for guys that give you speed that have kind of that level of home runs. Because when you think about it, like, when you think about it from, like, an overall standpoint, like 80th percentile, like I do with NFBC, is, like, if your whole team needs to average 23 home runs, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a guy that averages 15, you can, you can compensate for that pretty, pretty solidly. But when you get into the single digits, you know, because I was having a conversation about the difference between Tommy Edmund, for me at least, yeah. you know, and, and, and Darren Fletcher earlier today on, on Twitter. And it's like you can spread out those eight home runs that you're missing from Whit Merrifield. But then when you're missing, you know, like 15 or so, then you're at those those kind of add up. And I really like to stay away from those single digit home run guys, at least in the core of my team. So I think that's a really key point that you mentioned there.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you there, and that's something we try to drill home is like five categories as often, as early as often as possible. Eventually, you hit a point in ADP where it's just not going to happen anymore, but uh, that's where you like you make up for, you know, I I'm, I got a bunch of steals, but I need to make up for some of the home runs. Okay, I'm going to go grab a Randall Gritchick later or something, So along those lines, and try to balance it out, but I think that's a, a good point as well. And if you're looking for guys with tons of power to make up for your maritful situation, I pick the 11th outflitter out the board, to pick 40 right behind him. Is Eloy Jimenez, who is. It'll be an interesting discussion this time next year if he's uh, top five ish in this. Like, he's got that potential as well. I uh, got Marcelo Zuna at 45. I think we're just waiting to see where he lands because that could change things real, real quickly. Starling Marte at 47, who's no one's talking about at all. Kevin Biggio and Trent Grisham rounding out the next five. And Grisham's at 57. So, an, an interesting group. We've talked about Biggio before. Grisham. Awesome year last year. People are riding high on that, which is always an interesting perspective. But some some like some steady names here, and then the stud and Eloy Jimenez that makes things very interesting. So, what do you like here? Yeah,
2: um, I love Eloy. Uh, I think he's fantastic. I love everything about him, and I think there's huge. You know, I think there's huge potential. St- for him to unlock more as well. I mean, if you look at last year, he managed to hit 14 home runs in the short, in the short season, you know, and that's, that's with a 52% ground ball rate. And obviously we know, right. From Vlad jr. And others, right. And not to go back to Vlad jr. But that it's not easy, right. To change that launch angle. It's not easy to get that ground ball rate down, but if he can, right. Even if he gets it to the point where, you know, he was in 2019, right? Where it was at around 48%. So dropping at about 4%. I mean, the the, the amount of power that he can generate, like when he hits the ball in the air um, is just absolutely phenomenal. So I think you're getting batting average, you know, you're getting home runs, you're getting everything in in a wonderful lineup. You're not getting the speed and you obviously have to recognize that and compensate it. But one of the things that I'm thinking about more this year is yes, the batting average and the stolen bases are important and you need to have one of those two things, but so is just getting good hitters. And I think that's one of the things that you mentioned around Kyle Tucker. That's kind of a question mark, right? With Eloy Jimenez, I think you draft him and you, you feel really good about getting him because I think he just crushes. He's just an exceptionally good hitter. Obviously some question marks about where he plays. That's not a question mark for this season necessarily, and he dealt with some injuries, I think a concussion and and some kind of nagging injuries a little bit towards the back half of the of, of the of the second half of last season. But just a phenomenal hitter, and I would love to have him on my team and draft him in the in the third round, even the earlier third round. I think is totally um, reasonable for him, and and the projections love him um, too. They have him as the thirtieth for my spreadsheet in, in my valuations. I have him at about twenty four dollars. You know, so the thirtieth ranked player, so well above where he's going in, in ADP right now. Um, so just something to think about. I actually have them abo- above above um, Luis Robert uh, and Bryce Harper and Kyle Tucker um, in those rankings, but I think the difference there for me is is kind of the Kyle Tucker speed, yeah. And and with Robert, like um, the speed is important too, but that batting average is just could be absolutely um, dreadful. So. Um, love, love, love Eloy. Um, and I, and I hope to have a lot of him. Marcelo Zuna, again, he strikes me as a guy, which I think we often see where in one year he's undervalued and in another year he's overvalued. Uh, everything went right for him. We talked about this, right? 338 batting average last year on a 391 Babbitt career 320. He actually saw some regression, um, from 2019 in plate discipline. And his contact rate fell by about four percent. Again, shortened season, uh, but important to note that obviously the counting stats, the runs and RBIs, were off the charts. Hitting in Atlanta in in the back of that incredible lineup that they had, really, you know, throughout he didn't have any speed, which was a little bit of a disappointment, I think. But I think that batting average comes down. Steamer has him at about 277, which you know maybe maybe it's uh, I mean it seems about right given what he's done in in previous seasons. Right in line with his career average, maybe some improvement because the Statcast metrics were were really nice. I mean, career high in, in exit velocity, career high in barrels, um, and I think some of that comes from that ground that dipping ground ball rate, thirty six point seven percent, so down about five percent. So if he can keep that up, you know, maybe the power metrics hold up, but I don't think that batting average does. Um, and the context, if he's not with the Braves, right? Like I've heard about your Giants being interested in him. I don't know if that's I mean, I don't think that's shocked. necessarily legit, but like if he ends up in an environment where maybe the contract is better, but the, the environment isn't necessarily, then then I'd be a little bit, um, you know, concerned about him. So I'm not willing to pay what he's, um, you know, I think what he's going for right this second but you know, I understand. Like, I think he's better than where he was going last year, which was around pick uh, 100. Yeah, you got Marte, Biggio, and uh, oh, I so I've got I gotta I've gotta talk more here, Beba. Oh my god, our poor our poor listeners. Um, with Starling Marte, you know, I I think he's a great uh, buy right here, like where he's going. I haven't had an opportunity to get to him quite yet. But, I mean, he essentially did last year what he usually does. Um, the home runs were down a little bit. But, again, his lowest home run per fly ball rate right, in in a, in a couple years. Batting average is going to be solid. He was still c- stealing. The Marlins are an improved team. You know, his uh, steamer projection is for, you know, a 2020 season, which is really nice. They have his batting average at 268. You know, he hasn't hit that low since 2012. He's got two eighty one, two ninety five, two seventy seven, two seventy five. So somewhat reasonable, but you can certainly see a ceiling on that type of a projection. You know, and again, um, you're not necessarily ja- dra- drafting him for the counting stats, but he should be solid hitting at the top of that Marlins lineup, which I think you know should be reasonably good um, this year. And, and they normally give the green light to their hitters, so I see another another twenty twenty season for him as being. Um, Pretty likely. We've discussed Biggio before. I just really don't understand taking Biggio where he's going right now. I just, the, the batting average floor is really, really low. I think the power potential is capped by that supremely low max exit velo and just batted ball quality. He hits the ball in the air a lot, but again, when he's not hitting the ball hard and in the air, and I don't think he's just going to all of a sudden like generate you know, a lot more exit velocity. I just think that he's really capped. And I think you can get guys that look a lot like that much, much later in the draft. Um, And so I'm really just not into Biggio at all. I just don't think that that is a good pick where he's going right now. And then with Grisham, you know, I don't see any uh, problems with him. I think everything's sound. He's got great plate discipline, the stolen bases and the speed looks good. The batted ball quality improved. You know, he's hitting at the top of that lineup. I think the only things that I would mention are we have such a small sample size to deal with. And, and going at pick 50 um, is a little challenging for me because he doesn't necessarily have that high batting average ceiling, I don't think. Um, and I just worry a little bit that Padres lineup is so deep that if he struggles at all, he could get pushed to the back of that lineup. It actually happened. He hit ninth, I think, seven or eight times over the course of the last month, probably against lefties. And over the course of a full season, that has an impact. So again, I can't really find any major flaws in, in what he was able to do last year, but I'm still a little bit hesitant because again, like Statcast cast metrics, all of this stuff regresses. And so what, what's unclear to me is, is this kind of, is this kind of peak Grisham and there's regression back downward? that could happen or is this um, is this kind of the the true talent level at which case you know he's going about where he should maybe a little bit above that Um, so I'm not I'm not into Grisham I probably won't have any this year but I could also look bad because you know if he stays at the top of that lineup and he's as good as he was last year the runs are going to be really strong the home runs will be strong the stolen bases will be strong and the batting average won't be great but it won't necessarily hurt you that much
1: and I'll kind of get some uh, contrarian talk to somebody. because so I love Eloy. Mm-hmm. No, not, not just, no, I agree with most of you said I'm trying to, I enjoy to, make, contrarian talk, to make people think deeper on some of these. Um, Eloy. I love, I'm with you a hundred percent. Like obviously he's not going to steal bases. We, you talked about that. I agree. It's one of those positions where, you know, home runs, you need X amount, stolen bases You need an X amount, but the number of stolen bases is not as high as home runs. And I think you can find those stolen bases a little later. Like guys that get you eight to 10 or so here and there. So, I think you'll be okay. Obviously, that's why I like guys like Nelson Cruz. I think that's an interesting comparison because Cruz might not have the average. The last couple of years, he's over 300. Uh, Projection-wise, they've got him hitting like 260-ish. it's a little bullish. We're still trying to see where he plays. So that could kind have of a factor as well. But in, in these drafts, he's consistently going around pick 95, where Eloy's going at 40. So, That's one of those, uh, if you know, if you miss Eloy, you still kind of want that similar profile. I think a Nelly Cruz, especially if he goes back to Minnesota or lands in a good spot, is a guy you can kind of pick on there to, to look at, um, Ozuna, like the talent's awesome, but like you said, he's either too high or too low in draft seasons. And this might be a too high. Like I passed on him everywhere in drafts. Um, I I just, I can't pull the trigger on him, especially not knowing where he's going to play. So it'll be interesting to see how he does again this year, the hard contact rates and all that stuff has been through the roof year in and year out. It's just a matter of elevating the baseball, making it happen. He did it last year. Can he do it again? We'll see. I love Starley Marte. I know you were big on him last year. You like him this year. I remember um, Todd Zola took him like super early in TGFBI. The dude's awesome. And you're pretty much going to lock in a 2020 type guy with a good average and good counting stats, like you said. I love that in my draft picks. Like if I can literally pencil in I'm getting help in these five categories and above average help in these five categories, that makes my drafting later on so much easier. So it might not be the flashy like 40 home run guy or 40 steal guy, but – you give me 25-25 or something, I'm a big fan of that. Pick five, uh, 47-ish, 48, so you're you know back into round uh, three, early round four. I-, I love a Starling Marte pick. I-, I try to get him on my team as much as I can. It's not always easy, but I try. Um, Biggio, I'm with you there. And then the thing with Trent Grisham, I just want to bring him up because uh, I loved him last year. A lot of people loved him last year where you're drafting him at. And I think I remember I was looking at some of my old – Articles from last year going into the season, thinking, okay, how did I do with these guys and that guy? And Gershon was one of the late round out footers I was trying to target for the reasons he kind of specified. I, I believe the power was better than people thought, so on and so forth. And, and it panned out nicely. Problem is, now you're paying premium. You're paying a 57th overall pick for a guy that, if you bring, believe projections, 24 homers, 15 stolen bases. That's nice. I just mentioned starting Marte 10 picks earlier going 20 20 25 25. And Grisham's own teammate, Tommy Pham, is projected to have over 20 homers and 20 steals. He's going to pick 117. And I love Tommy Pham. I, I would take Tommy Pham over Grisham right now if they are picking next to each other. And people might think I'm crazy for that. But I know Pham's got some injury concerns and everything. But at least we've seen Pham do it. And I think he's got more of the veteran stability in that batting order. You mentioned how Grisham could move around. Um, Pham's not going to move around the lineup based on lefties and righties. He's hitting probably second in that lineup for the most part, no matter what with Machado and Tatis and company all around him. So I love Tommy Pham. Grisham's a heck of a ball player, but it, it's tough to take him when you got know, Starling Marte slightly earlier. You got a guy like Springer coming up and a few, like Teoscar Hernandez a little later. Some other options I'd rather have over Trent Grisham at that point in the draft. So it's interesting to see his draft. And he's he's gone as low as 72. So there's a lot of people that think similarly, like drop him down a little bit. We'll have a conversation. So. Interesting. Spot yeah, there. can I can I do a bold take that's not
2: outfield related? Sure. I think this is the year that Nelly Cruz bombs is not the player that I think this is that when we start to see Nelly Fine. Cruz fade, and I'll and I'll tell you a
1: little bit why. And, well, and rather, I, don't know if I, we're, I think you're nice. It's bold, yes, but I think by his draft price, people are kind of agreeing with you.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think the thing is, it's kind of like one of those Chris Sale issues. It's like the people when Chris Sale got injured that are like, ah, told you he was going to have Tommy John. And you're like, dude, you missed out on like eight tremendous years. Right. Yep. And I've always been a fan of Nelly, but there are just some things from last year. And again, small sample size. But, um, you know, the ground ball res- rate was up uh, a lot. It was up at to 46.5 um, percent. He had the worst ground ball to fly ball ratio that he's had in his entire career um, at 1.51. He had a BABIP of 360 and a batting average of 303. But if you look at his stat cast metrics, yeah, he's expected BA was 269. His exit velocity was down two miles per hour. His barrel rate was down 4%. Again, still very good barrel rate, but the exit velocity was down as well. And then, you know, his contact rate continues to go down. So he's now at 68% for his overall contact rate. We saw that strikeout rate climb up to 27.1%. So when you combine all of those things together, I just think, you know, I think there's some things that could start to go wrong for him. So again, I love Nelly. I love everything that he's ever done for all of the fantasy community. I love all of the util only conversations that he's started, you know, in the industry about about that. But I think this may be the year that that father time kind of catches up with him. Um, and I hate to say that because I love Nelly and he seems like a great human being, but um,
1: I'm, I'm a little concerned about him. I think Rosario's gone and you're, you're bashing Nelly. I think you got to get rid of that hat. I just don't think you're allowed to oh, wear that. Oh, I
2: had the hat on. <laughs> oh, man. Get me
1: that. I just disgrish just him
2: too, and I have the Padres hat. All the other hats don't fit my head anymore. Are
1: you trying to tell me a 40 year old outfielder's going to finally, or a utility guy's finally going to crash? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Pretty crazy. Pretty I'm crazy. sorry,
2: Nelly. I shouldn't have worn this hat. I <laughs> I didn't know that that was going to happen. I didn't yeah. know that that was going to happen. If I knew that was going to happen, I would have never worn this Twins hat. All you Minnesota fans that are listening right now, I just I want to apologize most sincerely. You have a beautiful stadium. Beautiful stadium um, that hopefully this year you are going to be able to attend games at. You have a wonderful team. I love your team. I love... Uh, the accessories, like hats, that your team produces. Um, Nelly Cruz this year, maybe I'm a little down on, but I love everybody else.
1: Well, you just guaranteed that he won't resign now because you're wearing a Twins hat and you're, you're talking down. So it's just he's oh, going to play somewhere else. Um, 16 through 20, we're starting to get in some more interesting conversations. Like you can kind of justify most picks up till now. Gavin Beasio, maybe not. But uh, most of them you could. Now you get kind of an interesting water here. You got George Springer. At 58, Aaron Judge at 60, Randy Arroz talk about helium up to 63, T. Oscar at 68, and Brandon Lau, again, similar to uh, Merrifield earlier, second base alphabetical at 72. This changes conversations a little bit more. So, what are you seeing in this group of five?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like George Springer a lot. I mean, obviously, it depends on where he lands. It seems like the Mets and the White Sox. So far, and maybe the Blue Jays are, are, have all been uh, shown interest. Um, maybe the Blue Jays and the Mets are a little bit ahead of that game, given the White Sox signing, who was it, Adam Eaton. Um, uh, Springer, I mean, great OBP, power. He's never hit in a, in a great hitting stadium either, playing with the Astros. You know, you put him at the front of that Blue Jays lineup. You put him at the front of that Mets lineup. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's just going to produce a ton of runs. Similar to what he did with the Astros, he's going to hit for power, and maybe you know, maybe he's never been able to steal the bases, really, but maybe he he um, finds a way to steal bases, and in the NL East, that would not be a bad place to end up, honestly, just given you know, kind of the stolen base landscape uh, there. Although he wouldn't be able to run against the Mets, the Mets pitchers, and they did sign James McCann, which I'm not sure how good he is at holding runners, but um, so I do like Springer a lot um you know he's kind of the guy within this group that I probably like the most which is maybe why he's at the highest ADP. Aaron Judge doesn't do anything for me. Um you know again I think he falls into this category of outside OBP leagues, you know, he's a three category contributor. He's home runs, he's runs, he's RBIs when he's healthy. I'd much rather have, you know, Gian uh, Giancarlo Stanton going whatever 60 picks later like he's going right now than judge because they've, they've had similar injury struggles over the last few years. And I think, you know, Stanton when he's in the lineup and playing is a lot more dangerous in, in pretty much, you know, every category except for maybe stolen bases, but where you're not necessarily anticipating that. So judge is just a total, you know, no go. And I think his ADP is finally starting to reflect kind of what, what he should be doing. Areza is interesting. You know, he's got the upside. Obviously he's got massive swing and miss so far in his major league career, but he's made up with that for that with, you know, the home run per fly ball rate. That's been elite. Steamer likes him. You know, Steamer has him as a 25, (laughs) 25, 20 guy has him as the 52nd ranked guy. So, I mean, the power and speed gets you pretty far. The concern would be the batting average, right? Um, and then also the Rays and and just kind of the way, especially with a younger guy, um, you know, they're not going to be afraid to you know sit him again in 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 bad matchups. Obviously, he's a righty, so you don't have as many splits issues. But um, you could kind of see that happening, and you could also see I can also see him struggling out of the gate, just a ton of swing and miss, high K rate, you know. And, and they've got such a deep uh, lineup and such a deep farm system that, uh, you know, it just gives me a little bit of pause. So I probably won't have any of him, but I don't necessarily think it's a terrible pick because the upside is 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 most certainly there. Um, with Teoscar, I love Teoscar. We, you know, obviously this year, he was a reason for a lot of my success in a lot of places. And I think the batted ball quality stuff is there. I mean, the guy just mashes when he makes contact the contact rate concerns me a little bit, Um, you know, and, and I think he's, I think he's fine. I mean, I think that the areas where I have concerns about him are, you know, number one, the Babbitt was 348 last year, which maybe that reflects, you know, the fact that he had improved uh, batted ball quality, but all of the dip in in his ground ball rate went to line drive. So I'm not sure that that's really going to, hold over the course of a season and he hit 289 with that 348 Babbitt because he has a 30% K rate and the contact rate is really low. So if you see that batting average dip closer to the steamer projection of 241, then that has a pretty big impact. And he's never really been able to steal bases consistently in the majors. Six stolen bases this year tied a career high, you know, in less than half of the plate appearances he had in 2019 when he stole six. So can he hit his projection of nine? I think, uh, you know, most certainly he could he could do that. And so I think there are a few paths to, you know, him hitting that, hitting like kind of where he's going ADP, you know, if he's able to hit that stolen bases or even go above that, you know, because he was certainly on a higher pace than that. And again, the batted ball quality is among the best in the league, but I just worry a little bit about some, some natural regression there. And, and, and that batting average concerns me a little bit. So, you know, obviously a very, a very high variance pick could have a massive ceiling, um, you know, which we saw last year where on a per plate appearance basis, the guy was probably one of the top 10 hitters, you know, in all of baseball. Also, you know, we, we know that there's a floor there as well, but I do think the playing time is locked in. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to hit. It's just a matter of what that batting average looks like um, when all is said and done. And then the last guy, Brandon Lau, we talked about him at second base. I just don't love where he's going right here. He's a super high variance guy. You know, he's improved in a lot of respects. So that's really important. Really good batted ball quality. But we saw in the playoffs in the second half of last year that he just can really struggle. And I think there's opportunities to get that type of a profile later on in drafts. And there's a lot of second basemen that I'd much rather have than him, you know, and outfielders. I mean, Cattell Marte, uh, Jose Altuve, who we talked about before. And then I think when you look at outfield, um, you know, Lourdes Gurriel is a really interesting profile for me. Even Castellanos is kind of a similar profile, but I think a better hitter overall. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Springer's really the only guy out of all of these that I see myself drafting if the ADP stays the same um, heading into next year.
1: Springer's always a tough one for me because I, I, the talent I love, Depend obviously I want to see where he goes for one, but I just somehow never jump on him given his ADP is much better this year than it's been in recent years. So it might be a year where I, I draft a little bit of George Springer. I just don't find myself on him very often, but the talent's awesome. If he, if he keeps running, that was like a question mark at times. It felt like with Springer in, in years past, like how much is he going to run? You know, you expect this leadoff guy to, to run wild, and it's been like one stolen base, six, six, five, nine. Like he really hasn't been the numbers we expect for him. So I've kind of been off with of George Springer for the most part. Maybe a detriment to me, but as a guy I've passed on, um, I'm with you on Judge. It's scary because I remember digging in on him last season, preseason. And when he's healthy, the dude is probably one of the top hitters in all of baseball. Like it's ridiculous what he does. It's the if healthy part, and it's not very often. And so that, that's that's the bad part. It's one of those, like, if you're in an overall contest and you want to gamble, he could win you a league. I have no question about that at all. Like, he's that good. Just realize he could easily – this could be a lost pick as well. That's just uh, the catch-22 of him. So how much risk are you willing to take on your draft? How much risk are you willing to take in, like, a top 65-ish pick? That becomes interesting. And usually I don't take that much risk at that point in time. Um, Rose Reina, love what he did in the postseason. I wanted to draft some Rose Reyna. I don't think I'll be drafting him at this price point. There's way too many question marks for me here. Like the talent level is awesome. I, I just can't do it. The power speed we saw it in full force, but the the you mentioned it being on the Rays is a huge concern of mine. There's always questions there. There's always platoon issues there. Lots of things going on there. So talent level is great. We'll see. I am in love with Oscar Hernandez. I've drafted him in multiple places already. The batting average is going to hurt. I'm a realist on that one. I don't think he hits 289 or 290. If he can somehow sneak in like a 270, I'd be over the moon. I'd I'd be super happy about that. It's possible. It's that old saying, when you hit the ball as hard as you do, the batting average is great. But then again, you mentioned the contact rate, so he's not putting it in play that often. So it's a really – he's got to run hot like he did this last year or improve the contact rate. He's going to be 29 years old, still room for improvement. We've seen him improve each year over the last few years. Um, If he can somehow sneak into like 10 stolen bases, that'd be amazing. I'm not counting on that, but I think the floor he brings you and the counting stats and the power is really, really strong. And if he somehow just kind of puts the average together and sneaks a few steals in there, you have a heck of a ball player at this point in the draft. So I like getting T. Oscar. I, I, when I draft, I draft around some of the concerns with T. but I think his, his ceiling with still the somewhat decent floor he brings in there, I think it's a really, really good pick at this range, so I have no problem going with T. Oscar. And then Brandon Lau, I probably won't have a ton of him. I might sneak a team in here and there if he falls a little bit because second base does suck, but I'm not in love with the, this price point for Brandon Lau at all. All right, 21 through 25, another interesting group here. you got Conforto going about pick 74. You mentioned Lourdes Gurriel at pick 88. Castellanos picked 90. Austin Meadows at 94. And then Dom Smith. Around ninety-five, also first base eligible. So another kind of interesting range. You got another baby blue jay in here. You got Casty, uh the fallen Austin Meadows and some others. So what's your thoughts on this range?
2: Yeah. Um Michael conforto do not draft him at pick uh seventy-five. This is not, you don't like Conforto. Um, do all. not do not do it. Do not do it. I mean you know, and, and I I think Michael Conforto, I should check, I should see what the projections have him as ranked here. Let's see. Oh, well, they have him ranked as the eighty fourth. So maybe, maybe they're right. Oh, maybe I'm I'm oh. over I'm over dramatizing it. I'm trying to have a hot take. Well oh, Babbitt
1: is, is pretty serious. I you should back I, I should
2: back it up a little bit. I should back it up a little bit. No, I mean I just think Michael Conforto is is a really good example of of recency bias and small samples and what it can do and what the narratives that it can generate. Because I think you hear like Michael Conforto has finally put it together, right? He's finally become this guy that everybody thought that he would be. But when you look under the hood, he's the exact same guy that he's always been. The difference is instead of having a 305 Babbitt, which he's had for his career, he's got a a 412. You actually saw regression in his ground ball rate. His ground ball rate um, increased from 2019 by about 5%. You know, all of all of that went to line drives though. He had a 30% line drive rate compared to 22.7. And again, I've talked a lot on the podcast about how line drive rate, especially over smaller samples, can be incredibly high variance. So that's why he has a 412 Babbitt, right? He had his the highest home run per fly ball rate of his career, you know, at 22%. His hard hit rate was the same. His O-swing was the same. You know, his contact rate overall, you know, was the same, although he did make more contact in the zone, which is definitely a plus, you know? So it's just like, you know, his average average exit velocity was down from 2019. His max exit below was up a little bit, which is nice. His barrel rate was the exact same as 2019. His hard hit rate was actually down. So all I'm trying to say is this is the exact same guy who we thought he was, just with an elevated line drive rate. And and thus a 412 BABIP, which generates so many things. Because that's the thing is we think about BABIP and we think, oh, well, that's his his batting average, right? So we regress his batting average down a little bit. Well, yeah, that's his batting average, but it's also his RBI, right? It's also the runs that he scores because he gets on base. And so I really think we just need to temper it down a little bit. Um, Steamer has him projected for, um, you know, 255 with 32 home runs, 90 runs, 90 RBI, and seven stolen bases, which seems reasonable, right? And that puts him at about 84th overall. So I guess I'll I'll track it back a little bit. Maybe he's a fine pick going where he's going right now, but I just think that there are better picks to make in this particular area because if he's not helping you in batting average, then you're really looking at more of a three-category guy with a little bit of speed granted. But you're really looking at, at, at most of the value that he's generating is from home runs, runs, and RBI. And we know that those are the least scarce category. And so from a roster construction standpoint in this point of the draft, which honestly is a, is kind of a little bit of a dead zone, I think, for value. Just like I don't love a lot of the guys that are going in this spot. Um, you know, And even the, the group before that, you know, I don't really love a lot of those guys. So I find myself taking a lot of starting pitchers at that particular instance or bumping up guys that I value a little bit more. Um, I just think I'm not that into Conforto and, and and I don't love that pick that much. Lourdes Guriel is, is growing on me. Like he's one of these guys where I have in my in my head this bias against him, you know, um for some reason. And then I look at him and I'm like, I mean, dude is good, right? Mm-hmm. He's healthy and, and I think people you have love mentioned his, his
1: brother. Dude. You figured you'd love him.
2: I know. What is wrong with me? He's like a better version of his brother. Why don't I absolutely love him? Why doesn't he move to first base or third base or somewhere on the
1: infield? Like, Give him time. He played come shortstop. On, and he come on, baby
2: Blue Jays. Move Vlad Jr. to third base and move Gurriel to first base. It's maybe something halfway decent that Vlad Jr. will ever do for your team. I'm just kidding. I'm digging myself this huge hole with Vlad Jr. where I'm going to be like the guy who doesn't like Vlad Jr., And everybody's going to be like, oh, he blew up. And I'm going to be like, I know, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Uh, I'll readily admit, uh, absolutely being totally totally wrong on that. But Gurriel, he does everything. He makes a ton of contact. You know, he makes great contact. The contact is improving. The O-swing is improving. And and one thing that kind of stands out to me in the analysis that I've heard over the years is that, you know, when he he left for the major leagues, He hadn't played for like a, over a year, I think when he was defecting. Um, And so am am I, am I making this up? And is
1: this right? No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. He
2: he didn't play for a bunch of years. And so, and so, you know, maybe what we're seeing is a guy who's now getting the plate appearances and he's hidden in the heart of that blue Jays lineup and he makes contact. He hits the ball hard. He's doing everything like really well. Before I say that, before I say he's doing everything really well, really well. I think he's got the same issue as his brother. He is just a younger version of of. That's why I'm saying I don't brother. know how you don't like him. <laughs> so and, and now the ground ball rate is low, like is right around where his brother is at with the improvement. I mean, everything is good. It's all good for for Yuli. Or uh,
1: Lord. Uli, it's he's on God. your brain,
2: Oh God, you know. Um, uh, yeah. So it's all good for him. And he's a guy who's really kind of moving up a little bit in my estimation here um, as a guy who's just, you know, he looks absolutely solid all around and he hasn't really been on my radar. And I think these are the types of things that I could be wrong. I could be right. But these are the types of things I think that as fantasy players, we're really trying to focus on and that we really should be spending a lot of time on is like, this self work of figuring out, I don't like this guy. Why is it like, what is it about this guy? Why isn't he on my radar? Why am I seeing him? Why is he going so much higher than he's been going in previous years? And everybody seems to be, you know, okay with that. And like, what's going on and really diving into the numbers and saying, you want to know something? There's nothing wrong with this dude. There's, there's everything right with this guy actually. And like, this could be a really, he could be a guy that you just see make that huge jump next year where he's going in kind of like that fourth round area with, with just a very
1: overall solid
2: profile. Damn. I need to draft him. Mm-hmm. I need to draft him. I, I, I wish. I'm okay, to draft we're in a draft
1: right know. now where you're probably approaching round seven or so.
2: I am. I just, this is actually a really good opportunity. I just want to give a huge shout out to my, the, the, the DC that I'm in right now. It's a two hour clock. We started on Sunday afternoon. We're at pick 230, 230 right now. In two quick, days, we've quick, gone quick. 230. Since we started this podcast, I drafted a pick, Andrew McCuttrin, at pick 215, by the way, which I absolutely
1: oh, love. I'm we in love with
2: that. I, 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 was I thinking about, him like
1: every draft right now because it's ridiculous, his price tag.
2: Dude, I was thinking about get, picking him at 185.
1: Yeah, I'm and with Between you. him
2: and Schwarber. <laughs> And I didn't get him, and then I came around and only one of the starting pitchers I wanted. So I went with John Means at like 207, even though that was a mistake because his min pick was 217. And I didn't check. I just I just drafted. But um uh uh where were we before we oh my DC. I mean, these guys are incredible. I'm already almost up again, and I drafted right before we started. I'm pick five, so that's you know, nine guys on either side of me that have to go. So there's 18 to 20 picks. I can never figure out which one it is, but like have have almost gone since I've gone. So shout out to the DC. I know none of you want to hear about that, but um, just a major shout out to everybody who's in DCs, who makes these things run and makes these things flow. Obviously life happens. You can't always be on it, but you guys are on it. So really appreciate that. So anyways, that's a a reason for me to love Lourdes Griel, Castellanos, you know, I struggle a little bit with Castellanos because... You know, we saw the increased strikeout rate. We saw, oh, he should have had more home runs, which is always the case. He's in a great ballpark, you know, and, and he was fine, but we didn't see the home runs. We saw the increase in the strikeout rate. The batting average wasn't necessarily there. He's not going to steal you any basis. So the question is really, do you think he makes gains in batting average and some of that power? The Reds lineup is not great, you know, and so um, I don't know. I just haven't really been in on him because I don't think I don't think he's special. You know, I don't think that there's anything that carries the day. And if I can't really rely on him to have a high batting average, then I'd much rather take a guy that I can count on having a high batting average and figuring out how to, how to compensate for that. In fact, like taking a guy who has a high batting average and he's going to get me a little stolen bases too, you know, on the side, like I can make up what Castellanos gives me. So I'm still not into him. I still haven't been able to pull the trigger. Maybe if he falls a little bit, Meadows is a guy who's really hard because I was super into him last year. Obviously, you kind of you kind of give 2020 to to COVID, but it's so it's so hard just to do that, right? Like because we we didn't have a huge sample size, but I absolutely loved him heading into that next year. I last year I absolutely loved everything that he was doing, and I think he is he is platoon proof on the raise so long as he turns it up and he, he's at a discount. So maybe I should be into him, but I just maybe like guys better going here. Um, you know, steamer sees a pretty big drop in the batting average, which I think is a bit, would be a big hit to him, but, um, certainly a high ceiling, you know, lowish floor guy. I think if, if he can have that power speed combo that he's shown in the past, so maybe I should be a little bit more into him. Um, you know, again, you're just kind of chalk it up to COVID and then Dom Smith. I'm not really into Dom Smith. I know people are really into him. Um, but let me just get up his profile and remind myself why I'm not that into him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So 368 Babbitt, you know, I don't think that's going to necessarily hang around. He's got the low strikeout rate, with re- which resonates because the contact rate is pretty legit. In-zone contact rate is pretty legit. He doesn't have great plate discipline. Um, and then I think he also still struggles against lefties, you know, and so if, if they do have a very deep lineup, you know, does he get platooned if he's not necessarily... Um uh, you know, let's let's let me just check out his career platoons right here. 237 batting average against lefties. Um and his WOBA, his WRC plus is still 104 against lefties. Um, you know, but not not necessarily great. I just think, you know, he had a really good, he had a really good, um, he had a really good year, but I just think that maybe he was playing a little bit above his head, and I don't necessarily buy a hundred percent of the playing time. Um, especially if they're a little bit more analytically focused on the Mets now, with with the GM hire, which by the way, I've never heard as so many glowing remarks about a GM hire. I think ever, like everybody's like, "What was I?" I'll, I'll run through a wall for Jared Porter, and like he's the humblest, kindest, greatest guy on the face of the earth. So kudos to the Mets. I know the Mets fans must be really excited. Love that fan base. Absolutely. From this point forward, I am a diehard Mets fans. Let's go Mets! I have an, I have an inside joke with, um, I've got these buddies that I go on a baseball trip with every year. And, um, and we have like a, 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 a year long, like thread where we're always like, just, you know, um, uh, chatting back and forth. And my big joke, a bunch of them are big Mets fans and there's a separate chat called the Mets chat, you know, which is only Mets talk and only for like big Mets fans. And I keep on asking if they'll let me into the Mets chat because I'm a really big Mets fan every year, but they, they won't do it. Um, so anyways, I am a big Mets fan. Uh, let's get let's go Mets, but not merely a Dom Smith fan. And I think, I know we're going to stop pretty soon with the outfielders at this point, but I'll just say, I really don't like taking outfielders in these last few groups. There's a couple guys in there that are of interest, like Lourdes Gurriel. But I think that the next group that we'll be covering is the group that I really want to be targeting, because I think it's a lot of guys that maybe were going in this spot in previous years, but have fallen back because of you know, uh, maybe s- small sample size or recency bias. So we'll get to them, I'm sure, later on. But that's kind of how I feel about this group of, of later outfielders in the top 100 of ADP.
1: What about so, you? So Toby is a Let's Go Mets fan, but he does not like Dom Smith. He does not like Michael Conforto. So just remember that, everybody. He he, he, just, he just, he's, he's, he's knocked off two of their top outfield draft picks right out the gate. But uh, there is one in the next group that he likes a lot. So oh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But uh, I'm with Young Conforto. I, I love Conforto. I love playing him in DFS when he's in the right matchup because he can't smash. He's just a guy in season long that has shown a few injury concerns here and there. There's a lot of question marks in his overall production, like you mentioned. So, you know, in like last year, even his draft price was a lot better. It was a lot more doable. Like we're like, OK, cool. I like the 260 with this power and everything where he's going. But now you kind of have to compare apples to apples. and It's different. So it it's tougher to go for there. I love Lordis as well as well. I think um draft price is going up a little bit, so it's a little trickier but um i I like I like Lordis a lot for a lot of the mentions the things you mentioned and it made me think when I was you were talking I kept looking at his, his you know stat cash page and his Fangrass page. I was looking at, at different things and if I'm in, as as in love with Tioscar Hernandez as I am, I should love Lourdes Gurriel just as much if not more, for the 20 pick difference. Like what they have, Oscar might hit it a lot harder. So like if he gets hot, his hot streak might really go. But I think Guriel can sustain it longer. So it's one of those kind of floor meet ceiling scenarios where Guriel can bring this steady eddy, awesome floor, really like good player that week in and week out. Maybe if you're like in a head to head league, unfortunately, you'd rather have a Guriel who's gonna steadily produce for you. Um but even at the end of the year his stats are gonna be good. Uh, but Teoscar has that ceiling that like I was mentioning that if he really clicks, he's going to kind of go way past Guriel. So it's kind of a, a catch-you-if-you-can catch type situation. So maybe if you miss on Teoscar or you don't want to take him at that point because you want another pitcher like you mentioned or you want something else, getting Guriel your next go-around because it's 20 picks later, so pretty much your next pick, give or take, is an interesting scenario to go by. And you still have a very stud outfielder and a very good lineup, likely playing in hitter-friendly Buffalo again this year because I doubt he's in Toronto. I think that's a scenario to keep in mind with Gurriel that I was kind of thinking about as you were talking that kind of made the draft strategy tweak in my head that it's interesting to go off of. Um, And then Castellanos, like, his season was bad. I'm not going to downplay that at all. I still like him a lot in that ballpark and in that lineup. And when you look deeper into his stats, Like his contact rates are not good. They're not good, but they've really never been good. It's just who Casty is. But 16% barrel rate, best of his career, he hit 225, but his x bag number was 273. Like, so something definitely went wrong there. His fly ball rate went down just a little bit, but not bad. His, his hard hit rate, best of his career, at 46.7. Expo Bacon was 471. It's just a matter for me is the contact rates. like, And then his strikeout rate jumped 7%. So contract rates dropped even more. Strikeout rate went up. So the quality of that bat kind of went to, to crap. But when he was hitting the ball, he was still hitting it very, very well, the best he's ever hit it. So it's one of those does he make a slight tweak and now we're back to a guy that's hitting 270 to 280, hitting your 30-plus homers, not stealing your bases. But in the middle of that red line, it's still going to be pretty good. It's interesting. I think there's something to be said about that. Price tag's a little steep right behind Guriel, Makes it tricky, but I'm not out on Cascianos just yet. It just depends on certain drafts I've been in. He's fallen. Certain he's going right about here, maybe a little earlier, which is tougher. But if he falls, he becomes interesting to me, very interesting. Uh, to say the least, because I think there's a lot of... He had a lot of bad luck last year thrown into his... He did have some issues at the plate. And it could have been new a new home. That happens to a lot of guys their first year in a new home. So who knows what happened there. And then um, the last guy is Dom Smith we talked about. I'm with you. I'm just kind of confused on what to really expect from Dom Smith. Like, Really, what do we do? You mentioned the platoon. Last year, he was supposed to platoon with J.D. Davis, but the injuries opened up both playing time. If they go sign George Springer, do we have a platoon again with J.D. Davis? And like, there's... Does McNeil slide somewhere? Like, where do these things move around, these moving pieces? That gets interesting. And then Austin Meadows, I agree you can probably knock it up to COVID. I'm with you. I've just never been an Austin Meadows guy. I just haven't – I don't know. It's just one of those things that could be one of my black holes in my analysis, like you're talking about, that maybe I need to go look into more because I know there's a lot of Austin Meadows fans. We have some questions on him we'll talk about in a little later. I just haven't been able to buy into Austin Meadows. I think there's a lot of streakiness there and a lot of still holes in that plate approach that really scared me last year given again covid but even in the playoffs he looked just absolutely lost like so lost it was it was terrifying to to watch meadows so baba i think that.
2: what you need to do is just start off this way you just got to start off and just ask yourself who am i <laughs> yeah who <laughs> am i am, what <laughs> am i doing here how did <laughs> i get here yes. and then move from there into your austin meadows analysis first right you just got to get that little shift yep. you know that that kind of get outside your body and then kind of analyze him. I think you, you may come with that with a different perspective.
1: And Cubby Knowles in the chat, and I love Winker. We'll talk about him next week, um, going much later than Castellanos. The difference between those two is Winker, somehow they still don't get regular playing time too, and then the the living crap out of me. That's the biggest difference. If I knew Winker was going to be leading off like he usually does, playing every day, I'm with you. But Sinzel somehow is going to creep in there still. Like it's going to happen, and that's my biggest concern. But uh, we'll see. Maybe things change in the off season. But we went through twenty five tonight. We'll go through twenty five or so more next week. Make it a, a business decision if we want to do more after that. We'll figure it out. Uh, part, part three.
2: I never thought I would see part three of an outfield yeah. preview, Bubba. Only on this podcast could you get that type of of depth and insightful analysis. And by that, I mean being so long winded <laughs> that we have to move it to a thir- a part three. Hey, um, it's good. That's One good. thing on Castellanos, as you were going through that, I was looking a little bit more at his profile. One thing that I do think bodes well for him as well is he had a career high um, uh, of percentage of his hits that were to center field, 46.7%. Yeah, like yeah. So about 13% higher than league average. You know, And so it may be, I don't think that's probably an approach thing. I think it's probably like a small sample size um, fluky type thing. And so that may be an example right there. Let me actually, I'm going to take a really quick look at um, his fly balls and see what, what, what he had there. Yeah, so when we only pulled 15% of his fly balls, 54% went to center, only 30.5% to the opposite field. So essentially when he was hitting the ball hard and, and in the air, he was hitting it to dead center. And so if, if kind of natural regression happens, you know, he doesn't pull a ton of fly balls as it is, but he does hit a bunch to the opposite field. And so if more of that tends to happen then you could see that home run rate go up. So I will give cool. give
1: you give you that point. You'll see the home runs go up or even maybe just the doubles cuz they go off the wall and so they get caught. Like things like that just slowly and then all of a sudden you're looking at a different batting average and everything. It changes yeah, a lot. So it, it's just I, I'm not completely ready to write him off just yet, but it was an ugly season. <laughs> very very ugly season. But uh, the other reason we only got 25 tonight is we have a, a lot of listener questions, which are really awesome. And we did. We, we talked before the show. If we go through like 40 outfielders and do listener questions, it'll be for three hours. No one wants that. You know, we don't want that. No one wants that. So um, let's do some of these listener questions. Matt Williams, um, at, from Roto Fanatic over there, longtime listener, first time caller. I would like to know why the Giants don't like Austin Slater as much as I do. We need those at bats. Well, I'll give you the Giants insight, which I tweeted to them to him and um, Sleepy K as they were talking. And the biggest problem, and it's not that he can't hit left, uh, righties; he can. It's the platoon. That's what Gabe Kapler does. And that's just – I don't see that changing unless something clicks in that locker room that says, hey, we're not platooning anymore. Because I'm with you. If he's playing every day, he's a steal right now in drafts. Absolute steal. is a little bit of power, lots of speed, lots to like. I just know Kapler is one of those guys that sure he likes the analytical approach to things, but he also is very regimented. And I don't see that changing. What about you?
2: Yeah. I mean, great OBP too, um, generally speaking. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the data backs it up. Um, Obviously, you know, we, we can have a conversation about small sample sizes and, and splits and stuff like that, which, you know, is well worth having, but like you mentioned, Bubba, that this is what they do. I mean, this is what the Giants do. They're trying to maximize value by, by working those platoon splits in his career, you know, against lefties, you know he has a 290 batting average versus righties He's got a 237 batting average
1: it's not against
2: great. against lefties he has a 124 wrc plus and he has an 86 wrc plus against righties including a 32% k rate versus a 21% k rate uh, against um lefties so it's not like this is this doesn't make sense i mean based on his career thus far the way for the the Giants to maximize his value is to play the reverse splits. And as fantasy players, it sucks. But from a baseball perspective, and again, outside of like conversations about how many, how large of a sample size we need, you know, to be able to look at, you know, uh, to determine whether somebody's going to have, you know, splits or not. Um, you know, it is what it is, and you know, start the guy in DFS when he's going up against lefties. Um, he although like you made,
1: it's he, he, beautiful.
2: Yeah, although although he'll probably get two at bats too, or two plate appearances, he's going to get pinch hit for. But I mean, this is one of the things where we just need to be realistic about the difference between fantasy baseball and um, regular baseball. And I would love to have his stolen bases and his OBP in the lineup all the time, but it's just, um, you know, it's just pro- we're just probably not going to see it. You know, the one thing I'd say, let's let's see what his OBP is against, yeah, 325 against righties. So, you know, he still walks a decent amount, but they, they can maximize the platoon in, in a much better way. You know, who is the lefty guy that they normally platoon him
1: with? They have uh, Dickerson who's out oh. there. Um, and Dickerson's, Dickerson's good. I mean, Dickerson can out match. they um, have Dickerson, Dubon, and... Um, why am I slipping on my Giants here? They, they? Slater,
2: not Slater. Um, who's the other guy who I was confused with Slater?
1: I'm pulling up their roster right now. This is a great Giants fan of me, but they've changed a lot lately. <laughs> Will, uh, Clark. Got, Will Clark, yeah, Will, that's who
2: it is. Will uh, Clark.
1: Yastrzemski, how the hell did I miss that one? Oh, God, yeah. yes. So Dickerson would be his platoon partner because Yastrzemski's yeah. not moving. so and he
2: can't play – does he play center? Does Slater play uh, Dickerson,
1: he, Dickerson uh, Dubon plays center. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's why it's just tough for Slater. The, the the options aren't there. And then just to take it deeper though, and to give the the other side of the coin here, so he hasn't done it in the majors. Like he had the small sample this past year where he was okay, but you mentioned overall in the majors not great versus righties. But I'm I'll, I'll, I'm up on prospects live right now. Look at the minor graphs in 2019 in AAA hit 303 with a 408 uh, OBP uh, in 2018 in um. In A, 356 with a 413 OBP. This is against in, righties? Against righties. Uh, in 2017 against righties, 315 with a 365 OBP. So he did it in the minors. He just hasn't done it in any stint in the major leagues.
2: Yeah.
1: So maybe he just needs more experience. I don't know because that's been a thing I've always preached. Like Brandon Belt, I've mentioned it a million times to listeners. They said for years he could not hit lefties. That's why they platooned him. And then they finally let him hit lefties for one full season. Now he hits lefties just fine. Like you got to let these kids do it. But they're going to platoon him because Alex Dickerson literally should play every day. He's that good. So I, I just don't see where Slater slides in without an injury. It's just not going to happen.
2: Yeah, and one thing to consider, too, is Slater's 28. So in those minor league seasons, I mean, he was way, way old for the level he was playing at True. as well. So, True.
1: So yeah, we'll see. It sucks, but uh, that's the Giants these days. I just saw, I, I saw a headline on MLB tonight that after the season, there's like six of their highest contracts are all off the books. Like, oh, man, it's going to be beautiful. Farhan with money, I cannot oh, wait for you. They're going to be – And it's going to be at a, an unfortunate discount because of these COVID years. They're going to get guys cheaper.
2: In, <laughs> it's gonna, in three years, In three years, it's going to be Giants against the Mariners in the World Series, and we're all going to be like, what is going on? The
1: Dodgers are going to start crying against me. Great. No, um Big Friendly Giant asks, okay, not necessarily outfield related. I notice I tend to have a very competitive roster in the first two-thirds of the season, only to have it lose steam and underwhelm in the end of a season. Is there a good way to prevent this? Notice I'm writing this after week one of the football playoffs. So, sorry for your loss. Um, it, it, this is a, a good question because in-season management, is we, we th- we're doing all this pre-season draft talk and all this, in-season management obviously is huge. And you are phenomenal at your fab. You're 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 one of the best I know at running your team throughout a year. That's what you do. You spend hours at it. Like you are, it's a full-time job for you at times. What do you recommend to him like right now to start thinking about? Which is kind of to me tough because you kind of have to see how your team goes and, and that's why it's in season management. But what would you do now to get ready for that come later?
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that you can necessarily do now except try to think about your process. Just try to think about and to go back and look at previous seasons and what happened. I mean, what I'm going to guess probably happened is, you know, number one as the season gets older. You know, there are injuries that happen to your team right after the team that you drafted. There are injuries that happen. You know, I think one of the things that we've talked about on that, that I need to get better at, too, is during the season is being familiar with how your players are doing. Right. So if you have a guy who maybe started out really hot, like maybe you you're the type of person who's really keen early on in that fab. And you add that guy who's scorching hot at the beginning of the season. And then you look at the overall stats for the season. You're like, oh, he's doing pretty well, but that regression is hitting pretty hard and maybe he shouldn't be in your lineup. You know, it could also be a question of how deep your league is. Like if you're in a 10 or 12 team league, I think one of the challenges it would be um, would be that uh, my, my cat, I don't know if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. You can't hear the cat meowing. Um, uh, yeah, the, the cat is gone now. My wife has um, performed a miracle and picked up the cat and is swooping him uh, outside. Um, you know, I think one of the things that happens in 10 and 12 team leagues is we look at the name of the player and we're like, God, that guy's really good. I can't drop him. But the nature of that level, that depth of league is that everybody's going to be pretty good, right? And so what you got to figure out is who is good enough to keep hold on to and who is there actually not that big of a difference between replacement level and that I can be working kind of the matchups on a week to week basis or, you know, a game to day game basis. It also depends on like, you know, I just think one of the things that we don't spend enough time about is like, what are the settings of our leagues and how do those dictate player value? Or so like, if you're in a daily league, are you really working that grind? Are you checking the lineups every day to make sure that those guys are in, if you're in weekly lineup changes, like, you know, are you making sure that you, you have the best matchups in all the time? And then, I mean, Fab is such a huge part of the game. And so I really think like being ahead of curve on, on Fab, if at all possible, right? People are really sharp out there, but you got to be ahead of the curve. And so you got to be willing to take the shot at that guy who looks like they're breaking out or being the first one to find out about the news or the lineup changes, monitoring the lineup changes, things like that. And it doesn't just need to be you like scrolling through the Brock scores. Find those, place, those folks on Twitter who will highlight that information for you, who are sharing that type of detailed notes. That you can really track, right? Or, you know, and so, and then again, like develop that process about how are you identifying guys on the waiver wire and making sure that throughout the season, like there are those guys that you set it and forget it. And you should do that because over the course of a long season, they're going to be really freaking good. But like always towards the end of the season, make sure your guys are playing, make sure you're grinding, make sure you're continuing to work it, and then honing that process throughout the year. What are the metrics like? What are what what do you do for your fab? If it's weekly, what are the metrics you're looking at? What are the leaderboards you're looking at? What 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 are you looking for in players that you're you're trying to identify and pick up so that you can be the first one to identify those guys? And then if it's daily, you know you got to be you got to be quick. If it's fab, if it's first come first serve, you got to be quick on it. You got to be following Twitter. You got to be reacting. So I think those are just a few suggestions for the things that you can do. And you have, if you have any specific questions, you know, feel free to let me know, um, reach out to me in my DMS. I'm happy to answer like those type, that level of like specific question, as long as it's not like, you know, super in depth, um, you know, happy to, you know, b- you know, kind of figure. And always,
1: out. always ask the podcast. Cause we'll, we'll, we'll answer them weekly on that too. We'll, uh, talk about that. But you mentioned a lot of, obviously a lot of the stuff, the things I know I need to keep doing better. I, I, I fell into a similar spot for years. Like he's talking about, like I draft really well, my teams play well. And then as the season goes on, it's just like a real grind to keep things going. I think that looking ahead is big. Like you mentioned, I think being willing to pull the trigger on guys a little early dropping or adding and being able to roll with that and just kind of see where it goes. Like if you hit on a couple of those guys, it, it goes a long, long ways to like making it work. And when you're not paying the exorbitant amount for these guys, when you get them a week early, um, that, that's very important. I, I, you talk about it, Vlad, Scott Genstead, some of these really phenomenal NFC players, churning and burning your your bench. Like when they draft, obviously when you're drafting, you plan on using your bench players, yes. At the same time, you should be willing to add and drop a majority of your bench players most of the season. Like not all the time, but most of the time, you should be willing to get a two-star pitcher because of this. or Move things around. Like have, At least have a couple guys, like two or three guys on your bench that you can be fluid with. So, so that's always important. And then I guess the other thing is when I'm making, and this is where I think you putting in all the hours on fab, but I don't put in, like I put in a little time, but nothing like you. I think the biggest part for me is, okay, I know I need to add player X or Y or something. Now I need to put in like seven bids for this guy because I, if I don't get this player or this player, I need to make sure I fill his roster spot up with someone instead of losing out on three guys, and then I'm still stuck with this player. That that was like, now now I still have a dead spot on my roster. Stuff along those lines. That eventually, so you have usable parts every week, I guess, would, would go a long ways. So, things like that. Um, The next question, Ben Tidd, at BreakingBen underscore T. Is your plan as of now to once again target outfielders in the pick 70 through 110 range, like last year where there were... A lot of good talents, Ozuna, Castellanos, Lauriano, etc. So are you going early? Are you going middle? Are you going late? What's your outfield philosophy?
2: Yeah, I mean, generally, you know, with the first few picks of the draft, I'm not thinking too much about that. Like I've taken Tucker. I think outfield is really deep. And I think what I mean by deep it is is I think there is like a point around maybe pick like 210, 220 where it dries up. There's a fairly significant difference, I think, between the guys kind of going before then. I'd actually draw it. I mentioned Andrew McCutcheon. I'd kind of draw it at that Andrew McCutcheon line maybe. That that was like the last outfielder that I was really interested in here. They're still really good guys, but I think how it's deep is that when you have outfield spots open later on, like there's a lot of different profiles that you can – You can kind of mix and match in there, right? Like if you're low on speed, you're going to have some guys like Lorenzo Cain going later or, you know, Leody Tavares who's going later or, you know, even Victor Robles who's going later. So you have that kind of guy. If you're looking exclusively for power, right, you have guys like, you know, um, you have guys like Randall Grichuk going later. You have like Justin Upton who's going super late, who I really like a lot, you know, heading into next year. You, you Schwarber's going like at pick like 192 I think is his ADP right now in the last couple of weeks. You know, so you have a lot of power right there even with batting average. You know, Michael Brantley is going, you know, around pick 160 or so. So, you have all these different different ways that like if you're if you if you have open outfield spots, you can find ways to to kind of fill needs. And certainly there are those guys in different positions but I think there's just a little bit more flexible that it is flexibility that it gives it with you. With that being said, I really like the, I really like the hundred, a little bit after a hundred um, in the outfield section. So I'd say like, um, you know, kind of the, um, I don't know. Do I actually like that? Maybe it's even later. I mean, you no, know, I just think there's a lot of values. Like I know you and Cubby Noel in the chat, were talking about Charlie Blackman. I don't necessarily, like, I think he's solid value there. I don't necessarily love love him, but like, you got like a Tommy Pham and an Eddie Rosario, you have a Tommy Edmond, you have a Dylan Carlson, who I like a lot, you have a Ramon Mariano, you know, so you kind of have those guys. And so if you gra- grab like an outfielder or two earlier on in the draft, because they're the best, you know, players for your team build or for, for value perspective there, I think that's great. But I do think there's a lot of later outfielders going and maybe it's even the later outfielders that I like. I mean, you know, I love like, you know, there's um, uh, Nick Solak is actually really interesting to me. Michael Brantley, uh, you have um, Grichuk, you have Leody Tavares, who I like a lot. You have Andrew McCutcheon. So I just think throughout there are some pretty solid values. So, you know, I just think for me, it's much more about like having different, a lot of, more different profiles or later on with outfield, especially around speed, because with a lot of the infield positions, if a guy has speed and they are in the infield, then they're going higher up, like just by, you know, kind of virtue of being on the infield and, and, and having uh, some, some speed. So that's kind of my, I guess, general approach to outfield. I just think it's a lot more flexible than other positions at the profile profiles that are available at different parts of the draft.
1: Yeah, no, it's – the biggest part is you mentioned you can fill roster or statistical needs with outfielders late that you can't always in other positions that late in the draft. So that's always big. I'm not purposely targeting certain spots of the draft with outfielders because the biggest thing I'm telling myself this year is, you know, you go into a draft saying these positions are weak, like second base and whatever, but I'm not forcing myself to take a player that isn't great when there's a better outfielder on the board that will give me better stats where I can go – get a a different player later at the position. If I have to, even if it's a starting cash door or something, knowing at that point in the draft, it changes like the, the, the the one for one at that point in the draft, things are different. So it's again, know your, know the player pool and what you're doing. So I have been ending up with more outfielders than usual early in the draft. At the same time, I have a lot of fans. I have a lot of McCutcheons. Like I'm getting those guys late as well. So I'm not picking a spot in the draft per se, but when I go through the draft, I'm not forcing myself to say, okay, I need to take a second baseman right now because they suck. So let's take Brandon Lau. No, I'm not going to take Brandon Lau. I'll go take something else over here. Stuff along those lines to uh, kind of justify where I'm going. All right. The next question from MS at SMMS79. Are there any primary infield players with outfield eligibility that may be better suited in an outfield role on your fantasy team due to the lack of depth in the outfield? Any interest in reaching a bit to secure Dylan Carlson? So – we both like Dylan Carlson, as he just said. I'm not going to reach for him, but I like him. So um, if you want a round early or so, two rounds, sure. Okay. But at that point in the draft, cool. But um, I haven't looked totally deep at the positional flexibility, but more often than not, when they have out, uh, infield consideration, they're usually more valuable in the infield. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, for most guys, it's it's you're going to play, want to play them in the infield. I just think that's the nature of – for me, you know, a lot of it. But the position eligibility is is really helpful, right? Because during a season, like I'm drafting DCs, so it's super helpful to have a lot of uh, position flexibility there just because you, you can't use fab. But even with a fab league, you know, it may be that you, you know, have drafted a guy like Solak, for instance. I'll just mention him because he pops up, you know, where Solak is your middle infield guy. And then you're looking at the waiver that week and, you know uh, – Jose Iglesias has a fantastic matchup for the angels and that happens to match up what you need. And he's on your fab wire. Well, you know, and, and your utils filled by some excellent hitter because you're an excellent drafter. Um, you know, so your middle infield, um, you know, in that particular case, like being able to move him to outfield, you have five outfield spots. And if Solak is better than one of those five outfielders, and you shift him over, you add Iglesias, and you you slip in there. So there's still value in that. But I think like when you're when you're comparing for me, and I know, you know, maybe if it's shortstop outfield, there's not a lot of guys that have that. But if it is shortstop outfield, you know, maybe you're looking at outfield in that particular case because I do think shortstop continues to be the deepest position. You know, maybe in that particular case. But I think generally speaking, you're you're gonna want to stick him in the outfield. I mean to stick him in the infield. And then Dylan Carlson, we'll talk about him next week, but I really like Dylan Carlson a lot. I think he's a 2010 type of guy. And I think, you know, um, I think there's definitely ceiling there
1: for him. Yeah, we'll talk about him next week, but I'd, I'd rather have Dylan Carlson than, than Lou Bub. So let's just go that route. Wow. Like straight up. straight up. I would rather have those. Paul credits. Abdul straight up. Now tell
2: me. Yep, straight do you up, really Paul want to on. love yep. me forever? Oh, forever oh, oh. and ever and ever. <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure. Yep. You were we'll talk about up that.
1: Talk about that next week, though. Uh, Dave Swan at Davithius he asks, "What are we to make of Austin Meadows?" And we kind of hit on that. Like I am just completely lost. I need way more of a deep dive. I've never been an Austin Meadows guy before. It was because he was drafted so high. Now you get a discount. Some may say I'm still like so just lost watching those at bats in the postseason. But uh, if you want to recap what you had there,
2: yeah, I mean, I think you're right on. I think it, it is a it is a. It is one of those questions that is just a major question. It is one of those questions that's just a major question. Um, we're getting to that point in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, where where I start to lose it. Um, no, I mean, I think it really is like a, uh, this question of what do we do with the 2020 season? You know, and especially a guy like that who got COVID. Because with Moncada, we're willing to do that,
1: I think, you know. Um, I think he's more vocal about it. Like, Matt Meadows yeah. really didn't let us know, like, what was going on.
2: Totally. And maybe that's what it is, but should that matter? Right. You know, but the projections certainly seem to have Meadows a lot lower than they would have had him otherwise. And then they had him last year. So they're buying into it, but are they COVID agnostic? Right. Probably. Right. They probably have an integrated COVID. So maybe that's a source of value that you can get. So it's just one of those existential questions of fantasy baseball about like, how are you approaching the 2020 season? Um, and and it's a good one. And and it's actually challenges me because I'm like, I'm not into Meadows at all or drafting him, but I was so into Meadows last year. So what's, what is it? So I got to think about that a little bit more. And, and it's also one of these questions where in come, you know, March or April, whenever we're drafting, because major league baseball is ridiculous. Um, you know, we should have more info from spring training about how guys look. And those are the types of guys where maybe you want to focus a little bit more. You want to follow what the interviews say. And so it may just be a question where early on in drafts, I'm I'm generally staying away from a lot of these guys who, who maybe have these types of questions because I know I'll have more information closer to the draft and I can make a better choice. And I like to operate with maximum information.
1: Yeah. I'm hundred percent with you. Like, yeah, if I find out this, that, or that with him, I'm with you. Like I'll, I'll be willing to kind of, move up a little bit on that situation, but uh, definitely have to wait for that. Uh, Richard Kolaski asks, at R. Kolaski, now that you've covered infield and outfield, how would you rank each position in terms of depth? I, I think we agree shortstop's the best, the deepest. Outfield, obviously, most likely second deepest. Um, and then it just kind of, I think first base and third base are interesting kind of similarities there than second base and catcher.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I might go I'd have to really think about it a little bit more, but yeah, catcher is worst. Uh, um, wait, should I I'll do it the opposite way? Shortstop, yeah, outfield. I think I think at that point I might actually be higher on second base, maybe just because I think there's some pretty good values earlier in the draft.
1: Good value. I'm with you there.
2: Um, and then maybe third base, first base. It, it's. Close. I, I think third base I don't like third base I don't
1: like it at all I think it dries up real quick
2: I don't like third base at all this year mm-hmm. um, I'm going to have a lot of it Evan Longoria to be honest with you I'm going to have a I, lot I'm of Evan Longoria best
1: ball for that he's, he's my
2: third baseman in a, D, a D.C. Yeah. Um, but yeah uh, That's how I'd kind of rank him I think
1: Alright Daniel a uh, Very good player asks us Why is Kiriloff not a top 150 pick since he's starting opening day? I I just I I like Kiriloff. Don't get me wrong, but we haven't seen it. That's my best answer for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, um,
2: when you look at his steamer projection, you know, obviously the plate appearances are lower, four seventy nine. He's hitting two seventy seven. 16 home runs, seven stolen bases. So it's certainly a solid profile and definitely one worth kind of a late round stab. I I don't know what their plans are. I haven't read anything particularly on what the Twins are planning to do um, with uh, Kirillov. Let's
1: see. Well, like, passing like as DH in yeah, a platoon.
2: It has him at DH. You have to think that they're going to, you know, improve upon Jake Cave you know, if not platoon him, I know you love Jake Cape. I love Jake Cape too, but, um, and then, um, and with Kirilov, yeah, I mean, we'll see how confident they are going in with him as the DH. Maybe they do that. And if they do that and he's, he looks like he's going to get, you know, the full plate appearances, then certainly that could be an opportunity for, um, you know, for, for some, for some, some nice little value. So that's kind of my perspective. And while you're going to do that, I'm going to look up his steamer 600,
1: I don't. I don't mind him late in the draft. Like the value is great, but like Jared Kalinick's at two twenty, and we know what we. Like, I, I think most of us would agree he's much better than Kerlof. Kerlof's at three fifty though, so that's a nice gap in in price difference. So deep in draft, sure, give it a shot. But uh, I'd like to know exactly what the Twins plan on doing because you'd, you'd imagine they either go and get a DH or another outfielder. I'm with you. So how does that shake things out?
2: Yeah. Yeah, let's see. I'm looking for Kirilov here. In in this steamer, he should be around ten stolen bases, I think. Let's see if I can predict where that stolen base mark is. I can't. Sorry, this is not compelling podcasting, guys. I really apologize, but I want to see where this Kirilov, where Kirilov ends up.
1: You're seeing a ten o'clock rabbit hole, people. This is what happens.
2: Yeah. Oh man. What's he at? This is so, this is going to be so. Oh, he's probably not even in outfield. All right. I'll keep looking. You can go to the next question. And then when I All find right, it, I won't buddy, waste
1: people's time. Our buddy Dave Duncan, he asks, How do you rank someone like Willie Calhoun? Is he off your board or are you willing to gamble at a certain price? I'm definitely willing to gamble at a certain price. I understand the trepidation because it was absolutely horrific what Willie Calhoun's done so far. But it's one of those things where he's getting drafted. I'm pretty sure we'll talk about him in the coming weeks. He's the 74th outfielder out the bo- – no, that's that's Cole Calhoun. Uh, Willie Calhoun's the 85th outfielder out the board at pick 314. I think there's some value there for a, a guy that is slated to play every day and bat third. Now, that could easily change if he slumps again. He won't be batting third. But we know the hit tool's there. It just hasn't you know come to fruition in the bigs. He's been injured a lot. Some fluky injuries getting hit in that you know concussion and, and – broken jaws and stuff like that I, I think that's a little fluky but we've seen him hit phenomenal in in the minor leagues i i really believe that's going to click here sooner than later the kid's 26 years old uh at that price point like if you're willing to take a chance on Alex alice why wouldn't you be able to take a chance on willie Calhoun? minus a stolen bases i get that but the overall hit tool I, I have no problem taking a chance on him what about you
2: yeah no i t- i totally agree um I think you know he's again one of these guys, super high contact profile. Um, the the all of the batting metrics were way out of whack, and obviously with that the horrific injury he suffered, the broken jaw with you know a fastball, you gotta you gotta imagine that that sits with a guy for a little bit. But he was also really unlucky at two fourteen. Babbitt a two point nine percent home run per fly ball rate. Obviously he only had one barrel, so he wasn't crushing the ball. His max exit VLO was down. But a guy at his age, that, that really shouldn't happen, I don't think, especially with the hit tool that he has. Steamer has him at 258, 23 home runs, you know, n- two stolen bases, which is just kind of like generic what everybody gets. Um, so, you know, maybe a little bit of a capped ceiling because of that. But you could see the batting average maybe being higher because of the contact rate. And, you know, he there could be some pops. So he might be a good guy to kind of bank on, especially – you know, at the price that he's going with, I think it's a pretty solid floor that he's dealing with, especially what you mentioned. Like, he should get plate appearances um, pretty consistently. So,
1: yeah, I'm willing to take a chance. The pedigree's there. It's just been a rocky road for him in the big. So, at that price point, pick 315, sure. Uh, Aaron Pags at Fantasy Triage asks For us relief pitcher dopes, do you treat outfielders similar to starting pitching? Specifically, do you target players to be your outfielder two, outfielder three, or you do, do you not care where you get offensive stats from and therefore only draft outfielders when they are the top player on your board? Um, I, I mentioned earlier, it's more of a top player thing. I'm not focusing on when, where, filling slots situation like a starting pitcher. So yeah, top players for me.
2: Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, I mean, I've had drafts where I draft my full infield before I even touch outfield and I feel totally comfortable doing that, so... Um, I think it's more best player, best player available that fits your, your roster construction, your team build um, is the way to go there. And I mean that in the vast majority of cases, you know, early on in drafts, that's obviously going to be uh, the situation recognizing like what profiles
1: are available within each position at any given time. All right. Our buddy, Comac do has got a two-parter one question for you. One question for me for you. Score prediction for tomorrow's match, and who gets the goals? Liverpool, Tottenham.
2: All right. Um, I'm going to say, of course, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. I'm going to say Liverpool gets out to a 2-0 um, first half lead, and then Tottenham scores uh, one goal uh, towards the end. I'm going to go with... Um, Uh, with son, I think son is going to be the goal scorer for Tottenham because he's by far your best player. Um, the rest of your team is garbage. And for Liverpool, I'm going to go with, it seems like, it seems like a Sadio Mane game. So I'm going to go with Mane and Salah. Um, I think that Mo Salah is like the greatest thing, Uh, on the face of the earth. And I, but I think Mane has been in a little bit of a rut. I'd feel like he hasn't scored much recently. So I think he's going to, I think he's going to get a goal. I think it's his, it's, this always happens to Liverpool. It's like, we have this front three, the three forwards who are all, who are really good. And they just kind of take turns leading the charge. And I think uh, Mo Salah has done that for the first part of the season. I think this is the beginning of our Sadio Mane run right here. So sorry, Comac do No shot tomorrow, Liverpool two, Tottenham one. Awesome.
1: And the question for me, which team needs George Springer the most, Giants excluded? And it's kind of a fun, who needs them the most and who's going to get them are two different questions. So this is where it's fun. In all honesty, Houston needs him back. That would be a great starting spot. Miles Straw and Chaz McCormick as two of your projected outfielders, they might need him back. I think that's a, a starting point there. Toronto's uh, Toronto's rumored to get everybody. White Sox is interesting. You mentioned Eaton. Another spot, we've kind of mentioned them in a roundabout way a few times. If the Twins don't bring back Nelson Cruz, that's a lot of available money. And there's your Jake Cave situation real quick. And now you don't draft Alex Kiriloff anymore. But um, you could put Springer in left field because I don't think he's a go-to center fielder anymore like he once was. You got Buxton out there who, hey, we know Buxton might get injured too. Another reason to have Springer on board. I think Minnesota, if they want to stay near the top of the central would be a sneaky spot for him. Cause I don't think I've heard that rumor at all. Um, in reality though, Houston needs him the most like that team. It's lineup looks dreadful. Um, and if I have to pick a national league team, I'm going to go with the Washington nationals. I think that'd be a, a heck of a landing spot. You have Andrew Stevenson, uh, Victor Robles and Juan Soto. Obviously Soto's fine. Robles should be fine. I don't hate Stevenson. I know Vlad Sedler was tweeting about him today, but I think obviously Springer got to be a bit of an upgrade there. So, um, I, I think Ned, the Nats, if they want to stay competitive for a few more years, that'd be a good landing spot as well. All right. By the way, Kirilov, 20 home runs,
2: nine stolen bases, over 600 plate appearances, his steamer projection. With a, with a two seventy seven batting average. That's solid. Picked, I think
1: that's worth a, worth a late-round pick for sure. Yeah. Uh, Steve Brunn asked thoughts on the guys that just had dreadful 2020s? Guys like Willie Calhoun. We just talked about Willie Calhoun. Austin Meadows talked about him. Uh, Victor Robles and Oscar Mercado, guys that had some buzz last year at this time and no showed in 2020. Thanks to keep doing what you guys do. So we talked about two of those. What's your thoughts real quick on Victor Robles and Oscar Mercado? Oh, man. Uh,
2: So I think they're both solid. I mean, Victor Robles, where he's going now, he doesn't need to do the things that you needed him to do last year to return value. If he steals. 20 bases and hits 10 home runs, which he's more than capable of doing with like a 230 batting average, you know, he'll get you, he'll return that value. Um, and so I think that he is, that he's fine. And I think there's definite upside there. We've talked about the max exit velo, and um, Alex Chamberlain has done an article since about that. I think he's not that good of a hitter, but he's still young enough where maybe some of that could develop. And he's going to play every day because defensively he is really, really good. Um, and then I think, um, who was the second one? Sure
1: Mercado, who doesn't even oh, have Mercado. To
2: Mercado's free and mm-hmm. Cleveland is awful. So, I mean, if he does well, you know, he could, he could really do well. So late round picture, um, go with Mercado. I liked him a lot heading into last year. So no reason to kind of totally abandon that, um, heading into, into this year. So I think those guys are fine. I mean, one guy who I've mentioned a few times on the pod who we'll talk about next week that I think is really interesting is Leody Tavares because I think very similar profile to Robles with I think um, a better hit tool uh, batting at the top of the lineup. Um, you know, definitely some batting average concerns, but I think Robles has those obviously as well. So, um, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what has. St- kept me away from Robles so far is Leody Tavares. And I think as we as drafts move up, I think you're going to see Tavares going much, much um, earlier in drafts, 150, 120, you know, spots like that.
1: Yeah. And if you look at his steamer projections, he's like 16 homers, maybe a little steep, but I could see it. I really could. 22 stolen bases, 251, like you said, where he's getting drafted now. That's fine. Like that's actually a pretty, Solid stat builder for you overall, especially if they ever put him towards the top of the order. That'd be amazing. But yeah, I like the Lyoti Tavares job. We'll talk to him for sure. I think that's a sneaky upside play. And the only thing with Mercado is I agree if he plays every day, there could be some big upside after what we saw. Right now, he's not projected to play every day. He's going around the same time as Kirilov. I might take the gamble on Kirilov at that point in the draft. So that gets a little more interesting there. And the last question we have from our buddy Dave Petroziello. The bloom seems to be off the Nick Senzel rose. Can he still be what we thought? And this is one I've been battling pretty much every draft I'm in. And I literally just took him in my fourth best ball here recently. Um, Pick 255. It's the price point is very intriguing. I'll be honest. honest. You know, the injuries have been a pain in the butt. The 25 years old, still super young prospect pedigree is great. He's got a similar stat line to a, Victor Robles, according to steamers, he's like 120 picks later. I'm willing to take a chance on Nixon Zill at that point in the draft. Just know there's some question marks. What about you?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's reasonable. The injuries are are really tough, you know, I mean, he's never, and this isn't just major leagues, you know, he had a lot of issues in 2018 as well. I mean, I think he had vertigo or something like that. So it always seems to be something, but certainly that same, that same potential is, is absolutely there for him. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think it's fine. You know, I mean, I think around the, you know, that point in drafts where he's going, like, you know, I think those are, that's the time to take those type of risks with guys where, you know, I think later on in drafts, you can get some outfielders to kind of fill in for him a little bit, but um, he certainly, you know, has, he has the pedigree, he has the potential. He's just got to kind of put it together. And I mean, you know, if you look at his projection, 15, 14, 254 batting average, 455 plate appearances, you know, if that's kind of three quarters of his 600 plate appearance pace, that's almost a 2020 season if he's getting full-time at bats. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think he's definitely somebody that you can go for. I think that the thing you got to figure out it with those types of guys is there's, there's handfuls of those guys. And so the question is, who are you picking to be that guy who takes that leap? And you can pick a bunch of different guys and hope that you hit on one. You know, sometimes you see something in some guy or another that makes you, you know, more lean more towards that, that guy. And I think that's just the case. You know, that's kind of the the bucket of players that he falls into is those kind of upside guys.
1: Yeah. He's one of those upside guys. He's one of those guys that, I could see, you know, maybe having a slow start or something, but he could also put like a month together where you're just like, wow, that's that's what we wanted. So he he could be a frustrating guy to try to to own and then drop and then add and like <laughs> that could be frustrating. I guess uh, definitely worth the gamble, like you mentioned. Um, plan on drafting something for stability, like you said, and we we talked about earlier with the in season management. Realize that he is a risk, and you might need to pull the like drop him early. Like that's just one of those deals. Say he is in a platoon with Yakiyama or whatever. He's not playing enough. You just got to you gotta drop him and live with the results if somehow he gets regular playing time and smokes you later. That's just how it goes. But he could be a dead roster spot for a while.
2: Um, All right. one, one thing on Mercado, um, just because I thought it was interesting, his 600 plate appearance projection is 15 home runs, 21 stolen bases, and a 250 batting average. Which, which <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd take that, right? So, you know, maybe if he has a hot spring, you know, he kind of shoots up drafts a little bit, but if he gets playing time. He could be, a, he could be a real value where he's going.
1: Yeah. No, like at this point in the season, those are the kind of guys that are worth drafting late in the draft and see what happens like a hundred percent. So, cause he will get the helium if that happens, but all right, that'll wrap us up for outfielder preview part one, 25 guys in the book. We'll get you 25 to 30 or so next week. I think they'll go a little quicker now that the big names are kind of out of the way. So that'll, that'll mix things up a little bit more. But uh, we'll, we'll get you a preview part two next week. Hopefully more questions involved. Um, if you have any questions, let us know. But also follow Toby on Twitter at Batflip Crazy, as you probably already do. I'm on Twitter at BDN And until next week, this was Bubba and the Batflip, episode 62. Catch you guys later.